Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBN family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. The centre of innovation is here, and you know this is part of the message of Project Cashmere of this whole podcast that there's something happening here which is beyond just good value for money. Like I said, having the vision is great, but the key is these concrete initiatives that drive it at the ground level. I think Paulina and all these people who are really, they do extremely well with very limited resources and we can take advantage of the really low costs here. You know, Poland is the land of opportunity and I, and I like to say the East is the new West because you always used to go West in history to find more adventure and danger and prove yourself. There are some good things beginning to happen here in Krakow, but we've got a very long way to go. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night, whatever time of day it is, Project Kashmir's listeners. Today I've got a very interesting guest with us here on here on uh, Project Kashmir, which is Jeff Kirshner, who's the founder of Literati. Um, I first came across Jeff a few days ago at TEDx Warsaw, where his TED, uh, in t- TED Fellowship talk was given as one of the talks showed alongside all the live talks at TEDx Warsaw. And I, tweet, I reached out to him because I thought the project was so impressive. So, Jeff, rather than me trying to do a job of describing what this project is, why don't you um, do it for someone who's never heard of you or the Literati Project? Uh, thanks, Richard, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Literati is a community that's crowdsourced cleaning the planet one piece of litter at a time and through that process collecting quite a bit of data, including what brands are found on the ground, what types of materials, uh, everything is geotagged and timestamped and uh, it all works through a mobile application. And together we're you know, not only creating a much cleaner planet, but creating a, a database that's being used by people all over the world. Okay, I'm, I'm obviously going to be uh, going into the process of literati and how it works a bit 
in a bit more depth later in the in the conversation but could you tell us a bit about your background what were you doing before you got involved in this project because part of the point of this uh, podcast is what we call the the entrepreneurial journey giving people a chance to get to know to know you so you know, did you always have the idea of launching a a project that would have a global impact or did this did it come out of the blue you know, what, what were you thinking of doing when you were younger and how did you end up doing this i have slalomed through life uh, my path has not been linear at all. And no, I did not have any thought of coming up with something that would have the impact that Literati certainly has. I started my career as a writer. Uh, and I was in advertising for many years and working on really interesting brands and, and having a blast, frankly. Um, and then when the first dot-com bubble blew up, I, like so many people here in Silicon Valley, lost my job. And while I had opportunities to stay in the advertising industry, I decided to start brainstorming with a friend about new ideas. And that led to what became my first startup, which was a company called Raz. It was a mobile entertainment application. And this is pre-Android, pre-iOS. Um, it was a very different time. Uh, I've had several startups. I've had a little bit of success, quite a bit of failure. I've consulted to a number of companies, and I've always maintained this passion for writing and for storytelling. And I've written screenplays and, and some fiction and things like that. The way Literati started, I literally fell over backwards into it. It was not something that I had planned, and it all came out of a comment that my four-year-old daughter made. Yes, and that's referenced in the, I think, in the the TED talk as well. So, so I, I'm also looking at your your LinkedIn, and um, judging by when you were at college, which was 1990 to 1994, um, I'm guessing that you must be in your late 40s. Does that does that sound about right? I'm 44. 44. Okay, early 40s. I'm, I, I, you're obviously more intelligent. I was at college between. 85 and 88 in in the UK and so I look at when people started and figure figure that their start date and my end date somehow match but <laughs> but obviously you're you're doing so, so so back then you were doing creative writing you went into advertising you were a copywriter and you were a backpacker as well did you backpack anywhere in Europe I did and I have uh, I actually spent a year backpacking around the world I when I graduated from college I had no idea what I wanted to do and so I moved to California and I started bartending and uh, teaching soccer or as, as uh, you probably refer to football uh, because that's what I knew how to do. And I met some folks who had spent months backpacking through Costa Rica and I didn't know that you could do that sort of thing. You know, most Americans aren't are, – you know, we tend to be a little closed-minded we're not as open to the rest of the world as the rest of the world is to us. And these folks inspired me to, you know, go see the world. And so I packed up a pack and took off for what ended up being 365 days, actually, although not by design. Uh, and my only, um, my only criteria was to stay as far away from the beaten path as I possibly could. Um, yes, I spent a lot of time backpacking through Europe. Uh, places like Spain and France and uh, the UK. Um, on this particular trip, it was mostly Indonesia, India, Nepal, 
uh, a lot of Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, places like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So by far, by far, by the way, the the most valuable thing I've ever done with my life. Okay, well that's that's a lesson. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to after I left uh, uh, high school or public school in the UK, I, I had a three and a half month holiday hitchhiking around Europe with my brother, and I knew I had a place at university. He knew he had a job going on to the BBC, so we had that that very nice feeling of like short term freedom and long term security which i don't think i've ever had <laughs> i've ever, <laughs> ever had since actually but it was um it's a it's an incredible experience and if you're if you're in a situation where you you can afford to do that or you can get to a situation where you save up en- enough to mean you can afford it it's a it's a great thing to do did you self-finance that did you work as you travel or were you able to save on your bartender to to make that feasible because a year without work is something that not everyone not everyone can do yeah, uh, a little bit of both. So it, you know, this was in 1997, and so my trip around the world. And, and by the way, I, I wasn't staying in hotels, or you know, it was all tents and hostels. You know, that was my that was my accommodations, or or I'd crash at people's homes. Mm-hmm. Um, this was pre. This say- was pre couch surfing, wasn't it? Couch surfing didn't exist back then. The term certainly correct. It did not. And I, um, you know, nobody also had mobile phones. People were not, you know, we were carrying around Walkman cassettes and Lonely Planet guides and big books. And that's how we, you know, and you go to a local, uh, you know, a chalkboard in a local community center and you'd, you know, see an opportunity. Hey, I'm, I've got two beds and, you know, for backpackers who want to stay with me, you know, and it'll only cost you a couple bucks a night. Um, I had saved up a bunch of money from bartending and then I worked uh, along the way at times. Um, but frankly, you know, my trip around the world, you know, cost me about $10,000 for the entire year. Um, and that was all food and all travel and all entertainment. I mean, I roughed it and I wouldn't have it any other way. No, it's fantastic. In fact, I went with my, my son to, Tenerife about four or five years ago and, and I, I, I used to hitchhike do what you did although not for as long and but now with couch surfing I host people from time to time and we we met up with a with there was a couch surfing picnic and we met a young Swedish guy who told us it was cheaper for him to be traveling than to live in Sweden <laughs> they're just giving I, us, I, just like giving up renting his apartment he said he made like he was $2,400 a month <laughs> up simply by not being yeah. in Sweden and, and you know that, 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 that is quite a quite a, an, an important insight for everyone anyone listening and you know I, obviously different people can draw different lessons but certainly if you're smart and you you know how to do it I'm sure there's any number of blog posts blog posts about how to travel around the world inexpensively it's certainly something to certainly something to consider so um, it's interesting for the background of your businesses where like the things you launched like Raz or intro um, is there anything like that you think is worth sharing to an audience interested in entrepreneurship either lessons you learned or advice you'd give to someone who might be in a job or a student wondering whether they're going to starting their own business or working for someone else so the are there any takeaways from that because i think the main thrust of this conversation will be literati but i i do think it's it's interesting to get someone who's got an entrepreneurial background this view on that issue you know i think there's a lot of lessons learned along the way and, and it's easy looking back um to, to, to say now that it's been clear, certainly at the time, 
I had no idea what I was doing. Um, that might be the first lesson is that it's okay if you feel like you have no idea what you're doing. I would suggest that many people starting out um, or starting a, a new venture have, are, you know, are somewhat clueless. And I say that with the most admiration and respect for those individuals. But, you know, I had no idea about cleaning the planet and using mobile technology to collect data. I knew none of it. Um, when I started Raz, I couldn't write a line of code. I still can't write a line of code. Um, and I think that if you, if you worry too much about the fact that you don't know what you're doing, then you never end up starting. And I think the most important thing is to just start and almost dive in head first. That's not to say that you should throw all caution to the wind. Um, certainly you want to be mindful of, you know, how you go about things, but I wouldn't let those, uh, degrees of uncertainty hold you back. Specifically when it comes to entrepreneurship, I guess there's a couple of lessons I've learned along the way that, that may be helpful for people listening. One is you always hear follow your passion. And, and there's absolute truth to that. Um, you clearly want to do something that you love. But I would add to that follow the pain. And what I mean by that is you know, entrepreneurship is about solving problems. And the bigger and more complex of a problem you can solve, the more rewarding it can be, both financially, uh, from a societal impact perspective. So I, I would say follow the pain. And if you're feeling the pain yourself, you can be pretty sure that others are feeling that same pain. Um, so that would be one lesson. Uh, another one might be that, uh, you know, there's a great, there's a great, uh, poster of Mike Tyson, the boxer punching someone in the face. And, and the line below, it says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And it's true. It, you know, if you apply that to the entrepreneurial roller coaster, you might have this, you know, wonderful vision and a strategy for accomplishing that vision. And undoubtedly you'll get knocked off course time and time and time again. And, you know, you need to be resilient and you need to be flexible enough to say, okay, well, that didn't work the way we thought it would. Now we got to go in a different direction. I mean, that's the constant ticking and tacking or pivoting, if you will. Um, so th that's another lesson, like keep that flexibility and maybe one third one, and I could probably come up with 10, but a third one would be understand your why. Understand why you're doing what you're doing. It's the, it's the purpose of what you're doing because when times get tough, and they absolutely will, um, if you can come back to realizing why you're starting and building and sweating out the venture that you are, it helps. It, it, having that purpose uh, can be a great driver. Great. Well, th those are certainly things that make a lot of sense. I, yeah, the, the advice that I, I give is to not worry about what anyone thinks about your idea, not worry what I think, not worry what investors or family or friends think, but do worry about what customers think because the only, or users if it's, a, if it's an app, the, the only people who really matter are the people who are using it and that, that's very closely connected to the why, why question. And I'm, I'm just thinking that um, some of these lessons are things that have appeared in TED Talks and TEDx Talks. I think there's 
um, Simon Sinek talks about the why question in, in his one of the most popular TED talks of all time about leadership. Um, how, how much has TED been part of your life? Was it obviously we're going to get into your how you got involved in TED, but prior to your joining their program, were you a TED fan or was that just something in the background? Was it a big thing for you? I would not say it was a big thing, although I was certainly a fan and I've always admired, you know, the community community that they've built and the stage that they've built, um, what that organization has accomplished in frankly not that long of a time is truly remarkable. Um, I think that the culture that Chris Anderson uh, really leads is one of transparency, authenticity, humility, and the fact that they are able to, at a global scale, share ideas that are worth spreading. Um, in the way that they are is wonderful. Um, I am unbelievably impressed with every single thing about the TED organization. Uh, and, and that was before I sort of became part of it, if you will. Um, I loved a lot of their talks. In fact, there are several talks that I, when I taught storytelling, I used to refer to several TED talks in my curriculum. And as I'm sure many teachers do. So, yeah, I've always been a, a big fan. Yeah, you may not know this because we, we this is our first ever conversation, but I, I, I have a license to a TEDx. I think I mentioned in the email I do a TEDx in here in Krakow, a project called uh, uh, TEDx Kazimierz, and we've got several people connected to education speaking at the event, which is in fact in three and a three and a half weeks it's getting quite close so I'm in the, if I seem slightly tired and stressed that's <laughs> because uh, <laughs> because I am but um but the um it's certainly I I first came across TED in 2008 or 2009 and then got very involved in the TEDx Krakow and I spoke and sponsored and organized and I, I visited a couple of TED Globals and it's, well, it was in Canada last summer at the TED Summit and will be in New York, in fact, in April for the TED Fest, which is a sort of live stream to TEDx organizers. And I don't think I've come across any other community in my life like it. I mean, it's a bit like a, a cult without the bad bits, if you know what I mean. The, the people are united by these very unconventional willingness to devote enormous amounts of their time and sometimes money to something for which they have no there's no financial benefit maybe there's personal brand building maybe there's um, skills and competences but it's it's not people don't do it for the money do they no and, and we could probably you know sing the praises of ted all day long the bottom line is you're absolutely right it is a community unlike any other and um i i I am truly humbled to be part of it, you know, as a resident. And it, it's a, frankly, the world needs more organizations like TED. Yeah, I, I think there are one or two. There are a lot of organizations which claim they're like TED, and they're not. And I, I, this isn't a podcast about TED and TEDx. Maybe, maybe that's for another occasion. But, um, I, but so I, I misdescribed the program your you were part of. So perhaps you could describe your uh, your journey into that. How did it happen? And you know, was it a just a random idea, or did someone suggest it, or did you find it on their website? Or wh how did it start? My wife. It all happened because of my wife. Um, 
She had asked me if I was familiar with the TED residency, and I was not. And she said, you need to take a look at this and apply. And of course, my reaction was, what are the odds? And she said, look, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Mm-hmm. And so I applied. And um, much to my delight, was accepted. And um, I, I live in the Bay Area of California. And so I left my wife and my two little kids and moved to New York City to be at Ted's headquarters and stay there for four months. Um, and, you know, when, the, when it happened, I thought, I said to my wife, how in God's name could I do this? And she just said, how could you not? And so, you know, having that support at home was really such a wonderful thing. I um, had no idea what I was getting involved in. I just knew I was going to be associated with, you know, this brand that carries such an amazing uh, amount of respect around the world. And the TED residency was um, an opportunity to spend time working on literati and be surrounded by, in my case, 19 other residents from around the world, all of whom were working on the most interesting things. And, you know, it was an incredibly diverse group of people working on a really incredible, incredibly diverse air, uh, diverse areas of, uh, subject matter. Um, the one thing that everybody has in common is we are all given an opportunity to deliver a talk at the end. And, um, you know, the TED network is so vast and, and so incredible that the doors that are opened are, are like nothing I've ever seen. And the, you know, the support, you can imagine, you know, the people at TED, I get asked this all the time. What was, what was the experience like? And here's how I describe it. Imagine 200 people that's about how big the organization is. Imagine 200 people who just really care. And they dream really big. Like imagine being surrounded by those people every single day. And imagine trying to take your one idea and have the support of all these other people who are willing to help and guide and open doors and it's just, a, it's an unusual opportunity and one that I am incredibly grateful to have had and uh, am thrilled to be part of going forward. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off that's really interesting could you describe the the um recruitment process just earlier today one of one of my speakers runs a big uh, corporate social 
responsibility project and they she she got a scholarship into a british school and then to cambridge university and the european college of bruges and one of the things that her talk is about is how she applies the attention to recruitment the attention to onboarding the right people that she learned going through these very demanding programs in 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 Poland and the UK to the program she runs for school kids now. So they have an eight-stage process through which of increasing levels of difficulty through which people who want to get into their programs, their scholarship programs, have to go through. What was it like getting the? What was the process like for getting the TED residency? Of course, we'll post a link on to back to the TED residency program uh, for anyone listening in the show notes as well as the ones you sent me. But but just what what were the main features of it? Well. There was an online application that was fairly simple and straightforward, and it was essentially, you know, tell us who you are, tell us uh, about your idea, and tell us what you think um, the TED residency can offer you. I mean, it was, in, in that regard, very straightforward. Once those applications were submitted, and that included, a, you know, a short 60-second video um, that you literally can hold up an iPhone and, and produce, um, then there were then there were the interviews. So for me, mine was done uh, via web chat, and um, I was interviewed by the two directors of the program. And um, you know, it's just a get to know you conversation. I think it's um, them determining is this the kind of individual who we would want to be not only supporting in his or her idea and what they're trying to, to do in the world, but also how might this individual fit in with the others. And so to the extent that somebody can get that sense from an interview, that's what happens. Uh, and, and that was it. It wasn't painful. It wasn't arduous. It was actually really delightful. Um, granted, I'm a little bit biased, uh, <laughs> But uh, we're talking to someone who, who came out on top, right? This is like history written by the winners, right? <laughs> right, which is not a good way to write history, I think, because no, no, uh, no. a lot more a lot more can be learned by from the losers and where things went wrong. Um, but I, again, I think it falls right in alignment with that brand, right? Everything they do uh, from top to bottom has this feeling of authenticity and transparency and familial, uh, a sense of familiarity. Great. That's really interesting. So it's actually quite, you know, what is that? It's not very, very detailed, but it's thorough, and 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 they and they, um, they obviously made a good choice. So obviously, it sounds like you'd already started Literati at the time you got in touch with them. It wasn't like something you launched. It wasn't. Uh, what stage were you at at the stage you got in touch with Ted, the, or your your wife? But by, by the way, kudos to your wife. And how old are your kids? Just 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 to kind of frame it. You said they're young kids. You left behind for four. Yeah. Weeks. My daughter is eight. My daughter's eight. And my son is six. Okay, so yeah, that's uh, must have been quite a quite a challenge. On the other hand, they must be. Pr- I hope they're proud of you. Yeah, depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got my my mine are sixteen, eighteen, and twenty, so slightly slightly further down the line, and and obviously. You know, you have your ups and downs as a parent. It's not all, even when you're doing, even when it's great, it's not always great. Sure. Um, but but the your question um, about where we were, state yeah. like the stage that we were at. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I think most entrepreneurs will agree that there's never sort of like delineated stages, right? It's much more fuzzy because um, it's all a blur in some ways. 
so we had, you know, started building this community. We had um, recently launched the iOS application. Uh, we had started working with a number of schools and, and proven some early revenue opportunities. Um, but the, the the TED brand amplifies that in at such a scale that it's hard to describe. Um, the once the literati talk was featured, things changed dramatically, um, and it's it's been an overwhelmingly wonderful thing to to be part of. And you know, my my belief is that we have at literati struck an emotional chord with people around the world, which is wonderful. And now it's time for us to get down and do the work. Okay, so yeah, so drilling into the detail when you because I I didn't know this before. So when you like had the idea obviously to develop an iOS app living in America involves and you're not a coder yourself involves some serious dollars to finance it right you so did you raise what was your idea of the business model because I am not actually aware it's not that obvious from the website what the monetization is so if you could talk about how much money and time did you have to invest and how did you perceive getting it back and what actually happened yeah, so there's a couple of questions there. The first was around developing the iOS model and, and the necessary dollars to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going to push back a little there. I don't think it's always nece you know, necessary to have money to get things done. And in our case, it hasn't been. Okay. So our team, um, which is five of us, uh, none of the team at the moment was being compensated. Okay. Everybody got involved because they believed in the why, okay. right? It's, it really is, that Simon Sinek video is tremendous because I think it teaches people to really pay attention to the brands that are showing you why they do what they do and not telling you how or what. Um, so we were able to, you know, convince and, and some, uh, you know, I guess convince and control people to get involved. Um, that said, it's, that's not the way to run a, a startup. Right. At some point, you reach a level where you need to raise capital to put together a full time team so that you can build out the technology and the infrastructure and find the product market fit and do the things you want to do. The second question you asked was about the business model. So it's early for us. And so I can't sit here and tell you with 100 percent clarity what the sustainable model going forward is. That being said, we've been able to generate revenue and it's come from the data. And frankly, we think that that's probably where the long-term opportunity exists. Um, and one, <coughs> pardon me, one example was we worked with the city of San Francisco, which I allude to in the talk, uh, to help them understand what percentage of litter on their streets was cigarettes. Yes. And that data we provide them was used to create a, a tax, which generates $4 million a year for the city to clean itself up. You know, if you could do that for one city and one item, San Francisco and cigarettes, our belief is that you could do that for any city and for almost any item. Mm -hmm. uh, so we think that there's an opportunity to create a platform that allows for that data to be used in a way that generates um, revenue for Literati. There's other opportunities as well. Working directly with brands. Is there a sponsorship model or a consultative model? We're also in the middle of designing curriculum, education curriculum. We're getting a lot of attention from schools. Is that something that at some point becomes something that we're able to monetize? Again, it's early. We need to figure it out. Our belief is we need to concentrate on building something of value. And if we do that, 
we'll figure out how to monetize at some point. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know whether it was in the TED Talk or an interview I saw, but Salman Khan of Khan Academy describes how he's very pleased with himself because he'd quit his uh, Wall Street job and was building Khan Academy and some donor sort of gave him a real a, a real telling off and said, this is not sustainable. You know, you can't live forever like this. You need to have a revenue model. And and, and I think she sent a check for $217,000 or some rather un, unlikely number. Just, uh, But I, I think that, you know, the non-profit foundation donor, you know, you know, particularly judging by the results you can demonstrate, I would hope that there might be some wealthy foundation out there who just believes that this is a more effective way of helping the environment than other ways of spending grant money, which isn't to say the data model might not be valuable too. Uh, I was wondering whether McDonald's or someone like that could possibly try to pay you to, but you're highlighting how much litter they cause at one level, so it might be quite hard for them to like yeah. figure out how, how, how to make that good for them. It's an interesting, you know, we get asked this quite a bit and there's this phrase greenwashing, which is that, you know, the brands paying organizations to essentially not show the data or to shine a positive light on those companies that are actually the cause of the problem. Um, we think that there's an opportunity to, in the case of working with brands, to let them really be the mentor or the hero in the story, um, give them the opportunity to do what's right. Um, but we'll see. You know, it's uh, we happen to be collecting a very unique data set that has not been collected before. How that plays out in the next three, five, ten years, I don't know. Do, do, <laughs> but it's going to be fun to watch. Do, do, are you going to have a transparency policy so that people can always see where your money is coming in from? In terms of, I suppose, suppose Kentucky Fried Chicken paid you to publish McDonald's litter data. I'm just a sort of extreme, you could not greenwashing, but green mailing, you know, Marlboro would be paying to, paying you to pick. Now, I mean, I'm a huge fan of transparency. There's a Sunlight Foundation, I think, in California. They say that, you know, sunlight is a great disinfectant, but is, is that hardwired into your DNA that you'll be transparent about where corporate money comes from, or haven't you decided yet? You know, I had never considered the idea that one brand might pay us to expose another brand's data. That, that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, you know, clearly, our, our position is to be transparent. You know, does that run through the entire DNA of the company? I don't know. So what I mean, and what I mean by that is, would we allow all salaries of the employees to, would each of our salaries be transparent? Maybe. Um, it's so early for us that now's the time for us to really think about that and shape the future. That being said, when it comes to something like a brand, I, I, I think that we would have to be transparent about that because otherwise we're doing a disservice not only to ourselves but frankly to the planet. And our objective, full stop, is to drive the biggest impact possible. Yeah. And transparency is going to play a big role in that. No, I'd strongly encourage you. I mean, I, I feel I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not in a position or authority to say this, but I, 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 ever, all the non-profit stuff I'm involved in, I, I'm absolutely clear right from the start that you know, we want to be transparent, like, as cost-effective, as low, low cost as possible for the outcome we're desiring. And one of the things I love about your project is it's such a low-cost thing to adopt, right? People just have to install an app and they're, they're ready to go. So, um, so... Uh, but I, I think that it would be, 
it would make a lot of sense to have that as a sort of, you know, how we engage with companies type thing in an FAQ on your website or something like that, because uh, how we engage with brands, because provided you tell the truth that, and you're ready to justify your decisions and people can find out what's going on. You, you... I think you're absolutely, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, I think I think it was probably you interrupting me because I was going to say you you guessed what I was going to say. I'd, I'd say it's it's the right way to go. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And as we, you know, I recently started putting sort of a, the pillars of literati. I've started creating a doc like, what do we stand for? Um, and transparency was at the top, um, and integrity, and things like that. You know, collaboration. And if we don't have those, we have nothing. Right? It doesn't matter the size of the community. It doesn't matter the data. If people don't trust us, we're, we're nowhere. And so I think if you can build an organization on trust, not only externally, but also internally. Um, right now, our core team, there's a great degree of trust. And we are here to support one another in whatever way, shape, or form. We wear a lot of hats, as you might imagine. And if that's how we can build the foundation going forward, um, I think that at least sets us, up, sets us up for an opportunity to create an impact. Absolutely. Okay. Now, the, the question I asked by email was, and, and it's, I, I, if, if you, I, I hope, are you happy with sort of constructive criticism of your website? Yeah, of course, please. Um, so I, I was when I saw your talk in Warsaw, I thought this is great. I went on your website and I was looking for some kind of like how to get started guide, like in 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 a, And I thought this is great. I, I, I like the fact that did did you have any prior contact with TEDx Warsaw, or is it news to you that they played your talk at TEDx Warsaw? Uh, that was completely new. Okay, okay, because you, you you're aware of this TED. Um, TED uh, rule that 25% of the content of a TEDx has to be TED Talks, which means that people we sit, sit there in the auditorium and we watch TED Talks together. That's that's part of the TEDx license. So it's, uh, I, did, I did not know that. Okay. Well, the, if you've got a spare two hours, read the rules of doing a TEDx. <laughs> which I, 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 I'm a huge fan of the rules. People complain about them, but it does guarantee a, a level of quality. The, the quality of what TED do, does and TEDx they require of TEDx old licensees is is something I'm fully fully in favour of. Um, but the I thought this is great. I wonder, you know, what's the next step? I went on your website and looked it up, and I was thinking of it. Do you have any like? Is there a process somewhere that I I missed on the website about if I because I'm wondering about showing it again at my TEDx in in three and a half weeks and. We have a thing called TEDx Adventures, and I was wondering whether we could make it a, a TEDx Casimir's Adventure, like a follow-up project, if we had like a project leader. But it's I, I don't know is that is is there a sort of like a jump start the process process in a particular city or territory? Because as far as I can see from your map, there's uh, not much going on in Poland at the moment. So your criticism <coughs> is excellent. Um, and right now, the only thing that we've put on the website, essentially, that's a call to action is to download the app and get started. And in that onboarding process, uh, hopefully the message is clear as to what to do and how to do it and most importantly, why we're doing it. Um, but you bring up a great point, which is we need to make that very, very understand understood on the site itself. Um, we have received quite a number of requests from people all over the world who want to be ambassadors and and to get literati started in their communities um so we're in the process of creating that material but 
you've given me sort of the motivation to to speed that up and at least put something on the site that's a little bit more clear, concise, and compelling. Because mm. I, I I think that you know it, it, so so at the moment you it's like the process is in your mind, but it's not on paper or it's not published. Is that right? Because it seems to me that the the TED to TEDx model is quite appropriate if you have like a sort of centralized guidelines and you can like validate. And all I'm involved in something called the School in the Cloud, which is another TED, a wonderful TED product. Professor Mitra, are you aware of this? Where they teach kids over the internet. Um, there's a, a, does that ring any bells, uh, Professor I, Sugata Mitra from Newcastle University won the TED Prize about five. five oh years. yes, of course, of course, yes. So so, he, they've got a process for onboarding what they call Skype grannies, who are the the people who volunteer to teach over the over the internet and some kind of process or checklist of things that you need to do because I'm you know I'm I mean, I've got loads of businesses and too many commitments already but if I could find someone who was suitable to launch this locally the, the first thing they'd do is well, tell me what to do and I'd refer them to you. <laughs> I'd refer them to someone in your team and if you're not ready for the, if you're not ready for that then that that would be a mistake on the other hand um, maybe you know, because the other thing I was thinking of, if you could, rec we, we've got um, uh, Philip, Dr. Philip Zimbardo from Stanford has recorded a greeting for our for our our, um, our event because the leader of his heroic imagination project uh, is speaking at our event. Wonderful in, in, in Poland, and you know, very often, and maybe you can see a certain pattern. There's a sort of pattern of a great idea in one territory can spread globally thanks to the power of ICT, of the internet. And so, you know, this problem may stack up until you define a process and either you'll drown an email or you'll have a way of dealing with it. Or maybe you need an intern or someone to manage this for you, someone on your side who's like the dealing with all these uh, outposts. Well, you know, Richard, I think you're, you're again absolutely right, which is, and I love the, the TEDx model. It, funny, you know how like sometimes when you're so deep in something, you, you can't see it, you know, you, you don't know it. Um, I never really thought about the TED, TEDx model as something that we could adopt for literati, but it, it seems to make sense, right? If we could create, which frankly would not be that hard, but a simple template that could be utilized by anyone anywhere with you know taking things like translation into account and localization, um, that would certainly be better than where we are today. And to bring this conversation a little bit full circle into you know what's it you know what is it like to be an entrepreneur? It's this right. You're always you know you're you're always trying to get from where you are to where you want to be. And as soon as you get to where you want to be, then all of a sudden that becomes where you are, and there's a new where you want to be. And I. I, I think you've identified a where we want to be and something that we need to work towards very quickly. Okay, well, um, rather than uh, the, like to convert this podcast in, <laughs> into a brainstorming about how we're going to cooperate, which I, I really, and this is what I, the, the most, I, I have a terrible tendency to get more excited about new ideas than the existing things. And I've got lots of different businesses that require attention. So, you know, for me, this, is, this isn't ideal to take on an extra task. But having said that, um, it's also a very interesting challenge. So if you could consider with your team in the next few days whether or not you'd be ready by the 22nd of April, Potentially, you could record a 
you could record a call to action for the TEDx Kashmir conference here in Krakow on the 22nd of April. Um, all you'd really need is a Google form, um, you know, that just asking questions that would be it. But you'd need to think of what the process is. What I could offer is uh, I've got a couple of projects where there's, a, well, one particular in mind to do with building a network of alumni of Cambridge University globally who are interested in entrepreneurship. I've, I've got an official alumni group and I'm using the TED to TEDx model that there's a sort of an onboarding process, a statement of values of how how someone can set up a local local branch and we don't we don't have the ambition of a, a branch in every in every city but i think for global cities like new york frankfurt paris tokyo singapore san francisco yes but possibly not you know scranton and baltimore and <laughs> um, um, small the small towns won't support it but but the but you know if, if, do you think that's something that you'd be interested in considering to use to sort of accelerate it with TEDx, TEDx Kashmir. Absolutely, we'd be honoured. Okay, well, uh, I, uh, I I'm honoured that we're having this conversation, so we can we can praise each we can praise each other a bit. <laughs> but, but but the purpose the purpose is great. And um, okay, well, I think from from my point of view, um, this isn't a typical podcast because I'm not usually like having action items and next steps coming out of coming out of the uh coming out of the conversation but i'm just thinking if there's anything else that would be sensible to share with our share with our listeners i'll tell you what would be interesting if you sort of obviously you're in a dynamic and very exciting sort of i wouldn't call it necessarily explosive growth but a high growth phase of your of your project um where could you see this going in two to five to ten years? Do you have do you, do you need to know that, or do you just think that there's plenty to be doing, to, plenty to be getting on with? So you just carry on working as hard as you can to make it happen until until something else comes along. Yes, I think we need to know that, and yes, we'll just keep carrying on. Um, I think the reality is that you know we have set a goal, which is to build this community that is crowdsourced cleaning the planet. And through that process, build this global database of litter. That's our purpose. That's our why. So everything we do has to funnel into that vision. Mm -hmm. Everything else, we have to say no to. So where can I see it in two years? Um, I see a, a burgeoning community that not only is working together um, to feel a sense of empowerment in cleaning the planet as opposed to a sense of overwhelm. Um, but also data that is now being used and measured and visualized, um, but being used to create real impact drawn from the insights that that data is providing, right? And the TED Talk that I gave gives a couple of examples as to how that's happening already, how the data is being used to make a difference around the world. Right now, in that TED Talk, there are three examples, one with a school, one with a brand, one with a government. I'd like to have 30 examples in two years. In 10 years, I can envision every city or many major cities having a litter dashboard where they're using technology and using data to understand exactly what, when, and where is lying on their streets. And that data can be used to prevent those things from constantly being uh, found on the streets. And whether that data is used to work with the brands whose packaging is found or work with local waste companies to be smarter about where we place recycling bins and trash cans, 
or working with other third-party data sets like weather and topography and retail locations of certain brands to really understand the nature of this problem. Litter is a global pandemic. It impacts the economy. It affects the environment. It degrades communities. It kills wildlife and is now poisoning the food system. And, you know, we solve today's problems with data, and this is one massive problem, which has virtually none. And so if Literati can start to become part of that solution, um, that's a really good place for us to be. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I, I love talking to people who've got like, uh, isn't, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of great ideas, but I always prefer ideas that are being put into action because it's very easy to have an idea. And, and this, is, this has got tremendous potential. And just a, a, a thing to overlay on that, there's, you mentioned, I think, consulting earlier, but you know, if, if there can be the feedback loop to public policy, to corporate policy, so that the, somehow, and there must be waste consultants. I remember having a, having a dinner in 1991 in, in Warsaw with a Danish sewage consultant who spent the entire dinner talking about sludge, which is basically what comes out of sewage works and or what goes mm. into sewage works. And um, he pointed out that one polluting factory can make the sludge from uh, an entire city unusable because if, if you don't have cadmium or lead in the sludge, you can convert it into fertilizer and use it. But if you've got a bit of cadmium, you, you basically... Uh, he also told me that... Uh, a human being creates a cubic meter of sludge per year. Each human, some, some, some I, 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 that's, but then you can dry it and compress it and stuff. But the, the, I think that the, the idea that you could give, you could have dashboards, you could brief tourists on when they come to a city. You could have. I, I think the idea of having a ranking, a sort of, a sort of street of shame, for like the top ten most polluting companies, in our city are could be a very powerful. Wet nudge. I don't, I don't think if I was McDonald's, I'd like to see my logo at the top of that list in city after city. And having said that, that if you could then praise them for getting themselves down, you know, the 30, yeah. 30% reduction, you know, the, it would be quite easy to um, motivate them. To, you could have like, you could have the sin bin, you know, company X didn't reply to our email, um, company Y company why found the time to work with us to take 25% reduction we still think and you know there are so many so many implications I can see I can see this being um, wild but then recruiting your local ambassadors is going to be important because you're going to get all kinds as with Ted and TEDx you're going to get all kinds of weirdos who want the license you know <laughs> so, so so you have to then make sure that you've got a process to make sure that the local person is actually a, a suitable ambassador in city X that you're never going to have time to visit. And that, that, that's, you know, that's quite a challenge. <laughs> you know, Richard, it's a, I'm constantly saying this one line, which is cleaning the world ain't easy. And whether that's recruiting of local ambassadors, convincing somebody that they should download an application, being much more uh, clear on our website, or getting someone to just pick up a plastic bottle cap, it, it requires all of these things to happen uh, and behaviors to change and brands to take responsibility and schools to educate and governments to write the right public policies. You know, we have a shared responsibility in creating a sustainable planet. And if Literati can play a small role in advancing that cause, 
um, we'd be thrilled to, to take on that badge. Uh, you know, you asked me, is there anything I'd like to maybe leave with your listeners? And I would say, I'll leave one message for anybody who's thinking about starting anything, which is um, there's going to be a million reasons why you shouldn't do it. And there's going to be many days that you're going to wake up and not feel like it, or there's going to be other things that you wish you were doing, or people telling you that you're absolutely crazy, or your bank account's going to be dwindling, or you'll get another opportunity. There's going to be lots of reasons that you should stop. But if in your gut and your heart, and your heart you believe you should continue, you just got to find a way. And when you do that, doors just magically seem to open. They may not open as fast as you want, and the doors that you expect to open most assuredly won't be the ones that do. But stick at it because it's amazing what happens with a little bit of resilience when you're driven by a deeper purpose. The other thing I would say is um, – for anybody who's interested in literati, we'd love you to join the community. And uh, there will be a million reasons why you should not pick up that first piece of the letter. You didn't put it there. It's not your responsibility. It's dirty. There's a lot of reasons why. But start with one. And if you think that one's okay, you know, continue from there. And, and we're here to help. And we hope to build a, a really wonderful community going That's forward. Yeah, it's a fantastic uh, closing message. And while while you were describing that, I was thinking it might not be a bad idea to say to anyone who wants to be an ambassador, the first thing you've got to do is pick up a hundred pieces of litter, because it, sometimes you get a we get this in the TEDx team that people want to come in on to an important role, like you know selecting the speakers, and they say, well, I'm too important to you know put up a poster. And actually, the person who's too important to put up a poster is not the right person to be selecting. Selecting. It's a great point. Yeah, and you know, you 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 could. Uh, I certainly think. But let's um let's wrap this up. I think we. I won't ask you to record a message with holding up your logo and the TEDx Kashmir logo right now, because I think what would be better would be to give ourselves a week to let this, like, percolate down, and in that case, by that stage, you know, we just schedule for around a week from now. Just have a, and then the purpose of the second call would be to, like, define the message that you're going to give to TEDx Kashmir and the process. You know, because well, I, I, I think that it would be really great to make that something that happens at our at our event. The the theme of our conference is inspiration, and it's a pretty inspiring idea. So. So, and you know, it's just, you're just one of many inspiring things that are going to, sorry, not you, your idea is, you're inspiring too, but you know where I'm coming from. Uh, it, it's got to be, it can't be about me. It's got to be about we. Yeah. And, and the idea. Okay. So, so should, can we, can we, can you sort of give me a, a give yourself like, I, I don't know, a, a week or 10 days maybe to, to um, think about what would be the most effective way to launch this to a, a TEDx audience, many of whom are going to be quite active people who might actually want to engage and help. That would be great. Fantastic. Well, I really, Jeff, I really appreciate your time. I think it's been an unusual podcast interview, but um, uh, there are lots of lessons to learn amongst them that if you see someone giving an interesting talk, a TED talk, um, send them a tweet <laughs> and interesting things may happen. Thank you very much and good night, Project Kashmir's listeners. Come back. Uh, uh, by the way, if you like this interview, please leave us a positive review on uh, iTunes. Uh, if you hate this interview, just send me an email. And um, what else can I say? If you have any suggestions of other people we ought to talk to, um, just get in contact. Thank you very much and goodbye. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Project Kashmir, brought to you by me, your host, Richard Lucas. If you enjoyed listening, check out additional podcasts on our webpage, projectkashmir.com, or on iTunes, where you can also subscribe so you never miss an episode, and also leave us a five-star review if you feel like it. We welcome feedback and suggestions of new interviewees, whether as comments on projectkashmir.com or via our page on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Adam Zuber with audio editing by Juan Wally. Thank you again for listening. You know, vision is all great and well, but execution is actually the key. The actual process of meeting those people, working with them, is in itself a huge reward. Interaction between the university and the business high-tech community is absolutely fundamental. Diversity creates a healthy ecosystem, and I think that I'm seeing more and more that diversity. It's not just about individuals, but about new individuals. It's about, you know, um, new initiatives. Sometimes they overlap with each other. Sometimes they might be cannibalizing each other. But the reality is that you want to have as many as possible because that accelerates the big picture. We're not going to have everyone in the world here. And in this connected world, we don't need everyone here. But, but the, you know, the artists and the designers, the creatives, they're very much part of what we what we've got and what we need so if you're listening again somewhere else in the world and you feel you, you're looking for a place where your 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 creative juices will run then 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 this city is certainly a place where you can find yourself and I think you can make history in Poland I think you can be part of something much bigger than you could be a part of in the United States right now not just from a you know, going out to San Francisco to make Silicon Valley richer, but but making a new part of the world um, grow at a much faster rate, be a much bigger part of that community, and and making it wealthy not just for wealth's sake, but for uh, a purpose, which is to make that country's government stronger. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.